As we come now to the scripture, let me ask you please to pray with me. Uh, Father in heaven, you say that your word is a, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Meaning that we won't be able to live really. We won't know where to go and what to do. How to do it unless you lighten our way. And your word does that. It lightens our way. So we pray that this morning we'll see the path you have laid out before us. How it is that we're to live. And that you would grant grace to us, God. That we would follow it. This I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn, please, in the New Testament to the book of James, chapter 1. I want to read um, verses 19 through 27, really. I'll only take a portion of that, some we've considered. But James, chapter 1, please, beginning with verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what what, what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, these first hearers of this letter that James wrote would find it a happy occasion that he wrote to them. Not just that he was the half-brother of Jesus, but he was the leader in the church in Jerusalem from which they had come. Remember, there was a persecution, and so these fled, and now they're getting a letter really from their pastor, if you will, perhaps if they were Episcopalian from their bishop, someone who was uh, uh, worthy of their respect. And he would write to them. They would have a sense, I believe, of the authority of this word being the very word of God to them from from, from James. And so it would be a happy occasion for them because they were refugees. They were living in a very difficult situation, uh, one that we could probably only even imagine in our minds that we haven't experienced ourselves, but a very difficult situation of being marginalized and, and homeless and helpless and, and uh, friendless and jobless and all those things that we've been talking about. But get that picture in your mind. This letter is coming from them, uh, from this one whom they respect a tremendous amount because he was there, in a sense, overseer in the church uh, in Jerusalem. And, and they would be wondering, how do we navigate this? God has given gifts to the church, and one of the gifts that he's given to the church are pastors and leaders and so forth, teachers. And so how, they would wonder, are they to, to, to live through this? One of the means of grace to them would then to be to listen to this word from their, their overseer, their pastor, if you will. 
So he writes to them and he tells them, and we know this, he, he tells them that through the trials that they're going through, and, and you get this sense even in the very beginning, they'll say, oh, he knows what's, this is a deep and a significant trial in their lives to be these refugees. So he says, through these trials, uh, you're to persevere because God has an intention, a purpose, a plan for this trial, and that is to grow you up, to, to mature you, to build you up in the faith, which is the very best thing of all. And so in that sense, you can count it joy. You consider when you go through various trials, you can count it joy because you know that God's, that God's at work in your life. And if you need wisdom, ask him, because he's generous to give wisdom. And, and, but ask in faith, that is really wanting his wisdom and being willing to follow his way when you get it. Ask in faith. And, and, and he'll give it to you. He'll help you through this trial. You're not alone in this. And that would be great comfort to these people living through these difficulties coming from this one who is James writing this, this word, you see. And, and, and so you see that now remember, God's wisdom isn't like the wisdom of the world. The good news is that though you, you know yourself in the situation you're in to be very poor, don't think of yourself the way the, the world does. Don't evaluate the things the way the world does, like poor is bad, rich is good. But, 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 but simply think about yourselves as you really are. Boast in your exalted position. You're a child of God. You belong to him. You're seated with Christ. Uh, know that about your situation, you see. Don't envy the rich. The best, all they can do is boast in their humble position because their riches mean nothing. In the context of who God is, you see. And so, so, so don't consider yourself like the world thinks. Now, 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 the trouble, James says, I know that you're going through. And I know this is true for you because it's true for me. I'm a human being. And it's simply true that when we go through these trials, through which we're supposed to remain steadfast, we find ourselves tempted not to. We find ourselves tempted to sin. Now, you need to understand that this temptation doesn't come from God. He didn't send this trial upon you and put you through this to, to, to lure you into sinning and falling away. That's not his purpose here. It can't be his purpose because God can't be tempted. There's no sin in him. He's not delighted in sin at all. He would never, ever do that. Now, that's the good news. The bad news is that these temptations come from within your sinful desires and they lure you. But trust in God. Because he's the giver of every good and perfect gift. And you know that. And you know that because you've already received this great gift from him. Because by his word, he's brought you forth. He's given you birth. In fact, you're your first fruit. Like the first fruits in, in the ancient and the old uh, traditions of, 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 of giving the first fruit to the offering. It, it, it shows that God has made a promise and he's stuck to it. And, and his promise to you is that you really belong to him. So, so trust him. And know there's more to come. Know that he hasn't left you. Know that he's with you. And, and, and so, so you go, all right, I, I, that's good, James. But what about this? How do, I, how do I persevere? How is this righteousness of God produced in me? How really do I mature and grow up? I've got the right frame of attitude now. I understand what's happening. But now, what do I do? What, what, what's, what's next in this? And so James says, well, here's how you do it. Really, for you to be able to persevere, you must with meekness receive this implanted word, you see. You must with meekness receive this implanted word. 
oh, how do I do that? Well, you need to first be quick to listen to it. Quick to listen. Every opportunity you have, you need to listen to this word. Second, you need to be slow to speak. That is, hold your opinions. <laughs> Meditate on this word. And be slow to anger. That is to say, don't, don't get upset when it goes against your way. Of course it will. Of course, what do you expect out of God? You expect everything you read from God to agree with everything you're thinking? No, 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 no. It won't. It will confront you. And so receive it with, with meekness. Receive this word implanted. Now it's implanted, which means it's new. It's something God has put in one sense within you. In the sense of, of, of the what was promised through the prophet Jeremiah. You remember the prophet Jeremiah talked about the new covenant coming. And he said, when this new covenant comes, God will put his law within you. He'll write it on your minds. He'll implant it. He'll put it in. Now it's new. That is to say, it, it isn't something that we had at birth. At birth, uh, uh, we, were, uh, or we were inclined to go, go against God. Uh, we weren't inclined towards him but, but now with this, this new law implanted in our hearts, the notion is now we're inclined towards him. Things have really changed. And while it wasn't part of us, this inclination to go towards God, now it is. It's part of our, our spiritual DNA, you see. It, it's implanted. It's really there within us. It's implanted uh, in us. And, and now, you see, we're to, to, to receive it. Well, what does that mean? Well, we're to welcome it. We're to receive it like we were to receive a guest. You know, if somebody comes to your house, the doorbell rings, you open it up, you realize it's a friend. What do you do? You invite them in. And you receive them. You say, you're welcome here. And, and the fact that your friend is there at that moment changes your agenda. Right? You change your agenda. In fact, you might even look around and pick up those dirty socks that are on the sofa. Uh, you, you may put some dishes in the dishwasher. Uh, you may prepare a meal because your friend is here. You, you may have to change the sheets on the bed because your friend's going to stay the night or get some towels or whatever it is. You, you, you welcome your friend and, and, you, and you make accommodation that's appropriate for your friend. Well, we do the same to receive this word, you see. We're to welcome it into our lives. We're to say, yes! God has changed my heart. Now, his law is my delight. And, and, and so it changes everything. So I've got some dirty socks I've got to pick up. I've got some dishes I've got to put in the dishwasher. I've got to make some beds. I've I got to do everything that, that accommodates the presence of this word. And so the way James puts it a little more directly than I did, he said, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. That is, put aside everything that isn't consistent with this. He said, he said really, these sinful inclinations that still reside, even though this new inclination is within you, you need, to, you need to deal with that. You need to put away everything that isn't consistent with this, this word, you see. And the way he puts it very dramatically, filthiness and rampant uh, wickedness, uh, uh, many of you pointed out to me that in the King James Version, those little, that little expression was translated like this. Lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Now, naughtiness makes us giggle a bit because it doesn't seem so much. Wickedness is a way better translation, although in the 17th century, naughtiness and wickedness were synonymous, I suppose. But, but, but this, uh, superfluity is a really good word here. 
the way uh, it's translated in the English Standard Version from which I read is, is uh, rampant. It, it just, it's just out of control. That's the sense of it. You get a better sense, I think, with superfluity. It's, it's super. It's, it's an abundance, this wickedness within us. And he says, so, so always be, be putting that away so, so, so that you can receive this word. That's the sense of being quick to listen, slow to speak. Put away your own opinions. Put away your own opinions. Listen, meditate upon this word. Have it take over your heart, if you will. So we just receive this word and we receive it with meekness. A sense of meekness, of humility. I know who I am before God. And thus, in honesty, I come to his word and I say, yes, this is what I need. I see myself as a creature, thus utterly dependent upon God. I see myself as a sinner, thus in need of his grace and forgiveness in his way. And so this word you see, I I receive it with meekness, submit myself to it. I'm not the smartest one in the room. I'm not the best one here. I don't know all that I need to know, but God does. And so I'll submit myself to, to him. I'll receive this word you see. With meekness. And then James goes on. He said. But there's another danger. Even for those in this great trial. He says. The danger for you. And the danger for us. Is the danger of self-deception. Don't be deceived. He says. See this this danger of self-deception. We all, we all know it. We all do it. Students do it all the time. Um, they always. I did it when I was a student. On a Sunday night. I would think. Oh. I'm ready for the test, right? I could convince myself that I was really ready for the exam that was going to be happening the next day, so I wouldn't have to... We can deceive ourselves, right? We deceive ourselves spiritually as human beings. The scripture says in Romans chapter 1 that what is known about God, what is true about God is known to us, especially the sense of his eternal power and wisdom. That's known to us by way of simply all that we see. And yet we suppress that truth. Right? So we deceive ourselves. And we say, no, there really isn't a creator. No, there isn't really a sovereign. No, there really isn't a king. No, there isn't anyone who owns me. There isn't anyone I have to submit to that there isn't anyone who even saves me. No, no, I suppress all that truth. I'm fine just by myself. And he says, now... He's writing to a group of believers. He's not writing to a group of unbelievers, essentially. He's writing to a group of people um, who left Jerusalem because of their faith, you see. And so now he's saying, now, now here's a difficulty. Be careful. You can deceive yourself. You can think that you're maturing in the faith when you really aren't. You think that, that, that you're really maturing, growing up, being built up. That is living as a believer in Jesus when you're really, when you're really not. And he says, now here's the cure to that. Here's the antidote to that. He says, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. He says, be doers of the word, not only hearers. You see, one of the dangers for us, even as believers now, is that it's, it's, it's easy for us to simply be hearers. Because the Bible is inherently interesting to us now. We can talk about it all the time. We can wax eloquent 
of theology, and we should. I mean, theology is a great thing to dig deep into and to learn, and all of that, you know me, to know that that's an enjoyment. And it is a good thing, I think, to do that kind of thing. But, but it doesn't stop there, you see. One, one preacher put it like this. He said, the danger is that we can be charmed by the Bible and not changed by it. We're just charmed by it. It's interesting. I mean, I meet unbelievers from time to time who talk to me about the Bible and they, they, they say how much they appreciate its poetry, how much they appreciate its language. I've, I've had unbelievers say Psalm 23 makes me cry every time I hear it. Or the, the parable of the prodigal son is masterful. What a story. They're charmed by it, but they're not, not changed by it. You remember even Herod said that he, 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 he loved hearing John the Baptist, but it troubled him greatly. But it never changed him as far as we know. He just liked hearing him talk. The, the Athenians, when Paul came through, these were people, they just liked to talk about these things. And they said, oh, this babbler, well, maybe we'll hear him some other time. He's interesting, at least, at least to some. The interesting relationship uh, historically between Benjamin Franklin and George Whitfield. Uh, Whitfield, great evangelist in the 18th century. And Benjamin Franklin, you know, I trust. But Franklin loved and was mesmerized by the preaching of George Whitfield. In fact, at one point he says, when I go hear Whitfield preach, I never take any money because I know I'll soon be parted from it. Right? And he loved to hear Whitfield. And they talked often. And, and, and Whitfield on occasion would plead with Franklin to believe on this Christ. And he never would as far as we know. But he was charmed by this man and his message and, and how he did it and how he gathered people together with him. And, 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 but he doesn't seem to have been really changed by it as far as we know. It can happen still today. You know, there are great preachers that people are attracted to and people like to listen to them, but, but they don't change. And James says that's, that's a problem. He says... Don't just be hearers of the word, be, be doers also. So he gives an illustration. It's really clear. It doesn't take much unpacking really to see this illustration. He has a couple of men, as he puts it, two people, two men, um, who are looking at something. Uh, the first man, he says, verse 23, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. So we can picture that. We do that, many of you. Most of you, maybe all of you, although maybe not a few of you, looked in the mirror this morning before you came. And so here we are uh, together, right? Now, why did you do that? Well, the sense of looking in a mirror is to see what's there in order to fix it, right? To look in the mirror. Some of us do that, I suppose, to just admire. But at least for our first greeting of ourselves in the mirror, we, we do it to see what needs to be sort of changed about us. That's the sense of looking in a mirror. And he says, for he's like a man who looks intently. I mean, he really looks. This isn't a superficial look. Looks at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and wants to forget what he was like. And you sort of smile at that, and it's crazy, because you see the sense of forgetting isn't just simply a lapse of memory. You get a sense it's deliberate forgetting. I looked at it, and I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm just, I'm just going out. 
and, and, and we get the sense of it. If that's all he told us, we could, we could fill in the rest of it. We go, okay, I, I, I get it. I, I get it. Uh, we're to be doers of the word, just like the person who looks in the mirror and sees that his face is dirty or his hair's uh, unkempt or if he uh, has a spot on his shirt or his tie's crooked. We, we realize that, that if he sees that and he just leaves and goes out, then that's silly. Why did he look in the mirror anyway? And so he should have done something. Oh, I get it. When we read the Bible, we're supposed to do something in response to it, not just listen to it. But then, not trusting us, he goes on and nails us even more. Verse 24. For he looks at himself and goes away. Once forgets verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, that is, stays there, lives there, doesn't lose that moment ever, perseveres, he, he lingers long in it. It's, it's, uh, the, the, the word really means he carries it away with him. Uh, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who, act, who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. That's, that's, that's the refrain. You can, you know, James, uh, as we work through James, as we see this, we see this in all the New Testament writers, but it seems very clear in James that he continues to echo his big brother, uh, uh, Jesus, half-brother. He, he continues to go back. You remember what I read earlier this morning from Matthew chapter 7 as we were working through our liturgy together this morning. I read that, obviously, purposeful, purposefully because, because Jesus is telling a story. He had just gone through the whole Sermon on the Mount and he essentially says, you're blessed if you do what I say. And you'll be able to persevere, remain steadfast, if you do what I say. That doesn't mean we're not to hear it. We have to hear it. We have to hear it with particular ears. We'll get to that in a minute. But he says, now, if you just hear it and you don't do it, then you'll be like the man who builds his house on the sand. And we know what happens when a person builds his house on the sand. We've talked about this a few times as we've come through this already. That uh, when, the, when the winds blow and the rains come, that that house will be destroyed. I mean, you can try to fix the windows, you can try to prepare the roof, but it's of no use at all because the foundation's wrong. You see? He says, what builds that foundation is hearing and doing, hearing and doing, hearing and doing. Not just doing without hearing because then you're on your own. Not hearing without doing because then it's worthless. But hearing and doing and hearing and doing and hearing and doing. The Lord him trust and obey. Hearing and doing, hearing and doing. And if you do that, Jesus said, then you'd be like the man who builds his house on the rock. When the winds blow and the rain falls, you might have to fix this or that, but it'll remain solid. Why? Because the foundation is solid. Because you're hearing and doing and hearing and doing. In fact, there was a time in Jesus' life when a woman shouted something to the effect of, you're the man, Jesus. Actually, she said something like, Blessed are those, the womb that bore you, and so forth. But at the end of that, Jesus said, no, no, no. Blessed is the one who hears these words and keeps them. Nothing new here in James. It's always been true. See, the great danger always is this sense of hearing the word and forgetting it. Hearing about God and forgetting it. Just like the person who looks in the mirror and hears and you see, forgets this self, really, uh, deception. We should never 
do that. That happened often in ancient Israel so much to the effect that God would warn them, don't forget, don't forget. In fact, he would give them feasts and festivals to remember him. Why do they continue to celebrate the Passover? So they'd remember, right? Why would they continue to celebrate the wilderness wanderings to the Feast of Tabernacles? So they'd remember what God had done. So they wouldn't forget, you see. I mean, we do that in our own lives. We celebrate birthdays. We remember, right? We think back. Oh, yes. One of my kids, our kids just had a birthday last weekend. So called and just to say, I remember your mind. You know, I remember. I remember that day. I remember how happy we were when you were born and all of that. And, uh, you know, thanks for your life. We remembered some things together. It was good. It was a connection. Celebrate anniversaries. We remember. Oh, yes, we're married. Right? That's good. We remember that, these celebrations. We do it in the church. We celebrate Christmas. Yes, the incarnation. We celebrate Easter. Yes, he's risen and all in between. And so these to remember, to remember. Don't forget. Look into it. Don't forget. Don't forget. Don't forget. Israel often forgot. The Psalms written about that. Psalm 106 especially. Talks about all God did, but then they forgot him. How could they do that, we ask? We know. In fact, there was the warning as, as the Israelites were taking over the land of promise, God said to them, now, 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 don't forget me, because here's the danger. When things are going well, you'll forget me. When things are going well, you think, you'll start to think you did all of that, and you'll forget what I have done. You'll forget that I gave you the wisdom, I gave you the power, I gave you the strength, I gave you the rain, I gave you the sun, I gave you the soil, I gave you the land, I gave you the place, I gave you all of it, and you'll plant, and things will grow, and you'll think things are fine, and you'll walk away, and you'll forget me. Don't forget, he says. See, see, the blessed person is the person who looks into this law and doesn't forget. He takes it and does it. Now notice, James changed the language here. I was expecting him as I was reading through this. I wasn't because I memorized this years ago. But, 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 I, but if this was the first time I was reading, I would expect James to say that we are to, uh, but the one who looks into the word, because that's the language he's been using, but he doesn't, he changes it to law, but not only law, he changes it to perfect law and the law of liberty. So he's telling us something about this, this word. On the one hand, it's been planted in us. Uh, on the other hand, it's something that comes to us that we look at, that we can see, that we can read, that we can hear, that we can listen to. This, this law, when he uses the word law, you get the sense there's something here to obey. It's like a mirror. It's going to show me something. Something's to be changed because of it. It's a law. The intention of law is that it would be obeyed. But, but he, he qualifies it. By saying it's perfect. It's the perfect law. Now when he's talking about law, he's probably talking about, yes, the Old Testament law, but seen from the perspective of the, of the coming of Christ. Seen through the perspective of Jesus. So he's not saying law just in the sense of the ceremonies, of the feasts and festivals and the sacrifices and the temple and law. Because Jesus has fulfilled all that. So we, we see it, oh yeah, that's done, that's good. Jesus has done that, he's fulfilled that. Not in the the laws that pertain particularly to ancient Israel, like their civil laws, or the laws that kept them separate from all the other nations, like the food laws and how you you dress and how you plant your fields and all of that. Not not that. But the sense of law that transcends all of that. 
what some would call moral law, but, 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 but as Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, as he talks through really um, the Ten Commandments and how we're to live our lives. He says, that's perfect for all of you. It's perfect because it reflects God. As I said during our, our confession time, that, that this law isn't something out there that God looks at and said, oh, that's perfect. No, 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 no. It comes from him. It's his. It reflects him. It's good because he says it's good. And it's good because it reflects who he is, the goodness of God, all of the commandments. Take, take for instance, the, whichever one it is, seventh, uh, thou shalt not uh, commit adultery. Take that from the Ten Commandments. That reflects God. You say, how? God isn't married. No, but God is saying, I I want you to live covenantally. And I want you to live faithful to the vows that you make. And I'm going to give you this intimate expression of that called marriage. And so don't be unfaithful. Don't commit adultery. Why? Because God says, I'm like that. I'm covenantal. I have an intimate relationship with you. I'm faithful to you. You can trust me. That's who I am. That's who you are to be. In fact, we don't have time, but read Leviticus. There you go. Chapter 19. Uh, You know, verse 2, it says, be holy because I'm holy. And then if you read through Leviticus 19, you'll find that God then walks through commandments. Many of them reflect what's in the Ten Commandments. And at the end of each one of them, he simply says, I am the Lord. And what he's saying is, be like this. Because I'm like this. These reflect me. It's perfect for you. See, these laws suit us. They suit us perfectly. You see, uh, we're to uh, uh, worship God and him alone. That perfectly suits us. If we set up any other gods, we'll never be satisfied as human beings. But if we worship God alone, then he says you'll be satisfied. You'll be fulfilled because I am the object of worship and the only object of worship. And I'm the only one. If you serve, you will find yourself blessed. I'll never leave you or forsake you. And we're to make sure that we don't make any images of this God, that we don't worship him Incorrectly, or, or create an image of him in our own minds, because that'll never be sufficient. He says, don't do that. Worship me as I reveal myself to you. Worship me and me alone, and that will suit you. That's exactly what you need. You do that, your life will be great. Honor me, he says. Honor my name. Hallow it. Um, glorify me. In everything that you say and do. You live like that. That suits you. That's exactly who you're supposed to be, you see. Rest in me and in me alone and in no one else. Because you see, if you find your, your, your satisfaction rest anywhere else, it'll destroy you. But, but, but trust me, rest in me. In fact, I'll give you a day. Relax. Worship. Come together. Think about me. Rest in me and me alone. Because if anything else, if you find your rest... Anywhere else, you'll, you'll die. If, if you think that you're in charge of all this and you're responsible for all this and, and it all hangs on your shoulders, it'll kill you. But no, 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 rest in me. Rest, 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 you see. And honor your father and mother. 
that suits you, you see, because I've, I've set up this arrangement to, for the security and the well-being and the health of children. So children, honor your father and mother. Keep this family intact. And, and then don't, don't murder, don't kill. You start to do that. It destroys everything. Your whole understanding of, of, of who you are as a human being will, will die because, because you're killing one another. So do all that's necessary to keep life flourishing. Oh, that suits you, you see. That's exactly how you're to live. Don't commit adultery. Be faithful to your vows. God has established this way. One man, one woman, till their death, to, to live with one another and love one another. He said, that, that suits you. That, that, that's really what fits. I, I know you, you go all these other ways, but, but they, they won't fit. But, but this really, really suits you, right? Don't steal. Don't take from one another. You begin to do that and you begin lying to one another. Uh, it'll destroy any sense of community that exists. But rather, be thankful for what you have and what each other has. That is, don't covet. Because you'd be thankful to what God has given you. That kind of life, that's what suits you. You, you start coveting, desiring, envying what other people have, taking what they have, lying to them to get it. And it'll just destroy you. No, no, no. Work. And be grateful for what God has given you. You see, that, that's what suits you. It's perfect, this law, you see. And thus it's the law of liberty. It's really a law of freedom. It isn't a law of bondage, but it's a law of freedom. He said, this is who you've been made to be. I've implanted this in you. Now, as you read it and listen to it, as you come to it, look intently at this law that's perfect, this perfect law of liberty and and receive it and 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 walk in it you see now we mustn't ever forget the link between this law and this liberty because you see uh god's grace always comes first to work in us and then from what he's worked in us we work out of ancient israel knew this all the time and it comes to us most clearly in exodus chapter 20 you remember the Israelites were in, in, in Egypt and then God delivers them miraculously and brings them to this mountain, Mount Sinai. And you remember what he says to them? He says to them, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That's how he introduces himself. And then he says, have no other gods before me. He says, I've redeemed you. I've delivered you. I've delivered you from slavery. Not to put you in bondage, but to free you. And this freedom, you see, comes by worshiping and obeying him. That's true freedom. And the same is true for us, you see. The same is true for us. That Christ has come and delivered us. He's done it all. He's paid the price for us. He's obeyed the law completely for us. You and I go to the law, and what does it do? condemns us we look in it and we're condemned by it we see i haven't done that i can't do that i'm not that guy i'm not that woman i'm not that person i can't obey this law i can look into my life and see how i've disobeyed it i can see all of that but then we look upon jesus and we realize he did it all he obeyed it all now what Well, then he fills us with the spirit and he takes us back to the word, this law. And he says, now live it. This is your freedom. 
Oh, live it in the power of the Spirit. Live it depending on me. Live it. But live it. Don't just hear it, but actually, you see, do it. And that's why he says, you, this person looks into the perfect law, the law of, law of liberty, and he, he perseveres in it, you see. He perseveres in it. He stays there. That's exactly the sense of what Joshua was told by God in this opening uh, chapter of, of, of the book of Joshua. God says to him, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong, courageous. Don't be frightened. Uh, Don't be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You see, what's amazing for us is we have this word planted in us. We have this word out here. And so when we take this word, it resonates. You see, it resonates. Because it's in and out. And now we need to receive it. How do we do that? We listen and we act, we respond. So you see, the danger for us is to listen and just go and forget. But you see, every Bible study that we do, and every Sunday school class that we go to, and every time we read the Bible, and every sermon we hear, you see, we mustn't just sort of set it aside, ho-hum, heard that before, right? But we need to listen, and then we need to ask the question, now what? How shall I respond to this? Well, I may respond in worship, yes. I may respond in increased faith, yes. More trust, more security, more assurance, all of that. And so my response is giving thanks. I, I, I give thanks. But, but, but then I, I live that way. I should, I should live informed by the security and the assurance that I've received. I should live this grateful life, you see. It should affect me. It should be affect how I, how I live, how I work, how I, I integrate with my family, how I share my life with them, you see. It should be seen in my life. I should be a thankful person. I should be a grateful person. I should be a person who's secure in the Lord, you see, one who lives forgiven. But, but, but then what else? Well, there's works of compassion that I should do. Right? I should love as I've been loved. I should express compassion as God has expressed compassion and mercy to me. I should forgive as I've been forgiven. Right? I should live that way. It should affect my life. And if it doesn't, you see, if it doesn't, the author of Hebrews says, over time, if we just listen, our hearts will actually become hardened. What enables us to persevere is to hear it and and do it. The night that Jesus was betrayed, you see. He knew that, he knew what was coming. He looked into the law and he saw our sin. Not his own, of course, but ours. And he knew that his father was going to put upon him our guilt. That is the wrath of God. The just deserts for our rebellion and sin. 
And so he took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it. I mean, can you imagine at that point giving thanks? He knew what was happening. He knew. I mean, this was just a a prelude to the tears at the Garden of Gethsemane, the great agony there. But, but, But still, he gave thanks. And he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is because of your sin. This is my body, which is given for you. Don't forget. Same way. He took the cup after giving thanks. This too, he gave to his disciples. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my bloodshed for many forgiveness of sins. Don't forget. Do this in remembrance of me. Because as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you declare the Lord's death until he comes. What are we declaring? Right? We're declaring, yes, he died. And when he died, we died. And in his death, our sin was dealt with. The punishment was paid, you see. And when he rose, we rose. To what? To newness of life. That newness of life was, was prophesied by the prophet Jeremiah. He says, I'll put my law within them. And I'll write it on their minds and heart. You see? It changed our inclinations completely. And, and, and there's this newness of life. What are we to do? Well, we're to give thanks. We're to worship. It's to humble us. We're meek. And so we come to his word, his perfect law, the law of liberty. And by his spirit, we live it out. That's the life that's blessed. Anything else is a life of deception. So we must live this life. It comes first by being blessed by God's grace to change us and to deliver us. And then by that same grace, that same word that's fashioned this new heart in us, we're now to take the word that we hear and by the power of the Spirit, do it. It isn't like Nike, just do it. No, 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 it's not just do it. That just is, is, is really big. You do it because Jesus just did it. Jesus just died and rose. Jesus has sent his spirit to live in us. Well, then just do it after all of that. Let's pray. Father, for me, for us. I pray that you would meet us at this table, Jesus. And that your grace would assure us and would strengthen us, would focus our gaze upon you, would work in us in such a way that we would delight in our obedience. That your commandments would not be a burden to us, but rather our delights. So please now, I pray, set apart this bread and this juice in such a way that we'll know we're in your presence, Jesus. And you're the one who has obeyed for us. You are the one who has died for us. You're the one who has risen that we might 
be delivered and that we might live. And this I pray in Jesus' name.